Welcome to Geek episode 168. I'm Mark Frauenfelder, founder of Boing Boing. Geek is where the editors and friends of Boing Boing talk about media, science fiction, video games, comic books, board games, TV shows, music, movies, tools, gadgets, apps, and other neat stuff. I'm joined by my co-host Dean Putney, the first engineer at Glowforge and Boing Boing software developer. Hey Dean, how are you? I'm doing great, Mark. I'm thrilled to be talking to you again. It's been a long time, so yeah, it's probably、uh, been a year or close to it. Yeah, yeah, we had a, a good long hiatus there, so we got a big, big list of good things to talk about. On we definitely do, yeah, and、uh, yeah, you've been you've been busy at your new job, and so it was it's, it's great to be able to to、uh, do this again. And I think、uh, you know, as you and I were talking about, we're going to try to make this a little tighter, a little shorter、uh, than previous weeks, so that we can just get to the good stuff and get out. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've been packed. I, I used to have right after we sort of stopped. I was collecting all the little, still collecting things from that I wanted to talk about on Geek and kind of putting this list together. And, that, and then I kind of stopped for a little while. And now I'm looking through over the last year and trying to remember all the great stuff that I was like, oh man, I gotta tell Mark about this, but <laughs> didn't have the chance. So it'll、uh, come back to you over time. You can just write it down on your list. Yeah, yeah. I gotta start keeping that list again. That sounds good. Well. Let's get started, and why don't you tell us about、uh, what your your friend from Foo Camp O Nine is up to? Yeah, so at, at Foo Camp a long time ago, I guess it would have been about six years ago. I met this woman, Christine Moran,、uh, who is an astrophysicist, and she worked for SpaceX for a little while. I think she worked for NASA for a little while, or JP, JPL maybe.、Uh, But now she is spending a year in Antarctica, and she is down there working on this like massive radio telescope、uh, at the bottom of the world, and is sending these emails. She's made, created a mailing list where you can follow along on this whole story about her year in Antarctica.、Uh, it's. It's really fascinating. My my grandma visited Antarctica a little while ago, and we got some like photos a few years ago. We had some photos of like the penguins and stuff. But Christine is spending a whole year down there and gets to be in this the 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 base where all the scientific experiments are happening. She sent out some photos of this really huge telescope. It's got to be like five or six stories tall. Uh, it's like a great big radio dish, and she's basically sending out these photos of Antarctica, just kind of like her trip.、Uh, you know, her doing a handstand at the South Pole,、um, them recreating Shackleton's mission, I, in you sort of like going to the spot where certain photos were taken in Antarctica, and、uh, showing some stuff from ice core drilling. For like climate change experimentation and and and、uh, research, I guess, and yeah, it's it's really fascinating. It's a it's a hell of a hell of an email newsletter. That's really cool.、Um, does she include photos in her newsletter? Yeah, she does.、Uh, I think I linked to it in the in the page here. But if you click on her archive, you can see in the tiny letter a couple of her、uh, her previous posts. And the the latest one has photos of the telescope, photos of the ice core drilling stuff,、uh, 
Um, she's doing some medical work down there too. I think that because there are so few people and she's, she's a doctor, she's doing like, uh, basic checkups and injections and stuff like that. Um, she's also got this, these great photos of the C-130 that they flew in on these absolutely massive cargo carrying planes. Oh, wow. This looks so cool. I'm, I'm looking at, but the, the thing is, I'm just seeing, um, like two, two dispatches so far. I wonder her archives don't seem to be working or something. Uh, well, I, I, yeah, if you click on part two, the January in Antarctica part two one, you should get all the photos and everything, but she's only put out a few, a few posts right now. Um, the part one is missing for some reason, but, uh, I'm subscribed to the newsletter. So I've, uh, I've been getting them there. Their, her dispatches are, I mean, it's basically like a, like five or six page letter that she wrote. Um, they, the internet access down there, the, is a satellite link and the satellite goes over their base for only like a certain period during the day. Uh, and it shifts. So it could, could be, it could be turning on in the middle of the night. So I think she's drafting these big, long emails and then sending them when the, when the satellites overhead. So, so does it come over once every 24 hours or is it like less frequent than that? I think it's something like once every 24 hours, but if the, the window shifts every day and so it can be like in the middle of the night, uh, she, she's also on Twitter and she talks about it a little bit on Twitter. I think she found something to kind of schedule tweets and she's like setting stuff up so that it, it might be tweeting in the middle of the night when the internet's on and stuff like that. Wow, this is so so cool. I'm definitely going to subscribe to this. Yeah, totally. So, I, I sent it to my grandma. She's also excited. She's subscribed now. It's it's pretty great. Oh, yeah. So she was sent there as kind of like the the, the staff doctor, medical doctor. Was that her? Uh, no, I think she's doing that as some volunteering. Uh, or it's it's like part of her uh, her work down there. But her real purpose is to work on this telescope and to monitor and like maintain this telescope. So she's, she was talking about greasing the gears on it and stuff like that. Interesting. It's, it's pretty wild. I'm not really sure what her research is. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if she can actually say what her research is. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I might have to send her an email and ask. That's but, interesting. So she's an MD, but she's also like a, uh, an astronomer. Yeah, I, I don't know if she's actually an MD or what the deal is, mm -hmm. but there's definitely some photos of her doing medical work in in this in this base, and she did mention in a previous, and I think in the first email that she was doing um, a little. Yeah, I've joined the trauma emergency response team, one hour of training per week, being on call every other week. Oh, and the okay. winter overs get to do additional training as a clinical assistant, one hour okay. extra of training. I got it. Okay, training. so she's she's just getting training there to like help out in case of some kind of medical issue. Right. Like things that happen. Right. Um, I, I think there are only like 70 people on the base. Mm -hmm. And uh, the last plane out left about like a week or two ago. And it 
it, they won't they won't be coming back for nine months. So they're oh completely God. on their own with just whatever they've got down there for nine months, which is pretty crazy. Oh yeah, wow, that's cool. That's a that's a great one. So uh, we'll have links to where you can sign up for for uh, Christine's newsletter. Yeah, totally. So I just finished reading a book last week called Bitcoin for the Befuddled. And, oh yeah. Uh, and I, I, I really liked it. I've read a couple of other books about Bitcoin, but I think this was the first one that really assumed no prior knowledge of things like cryptography or um, proof of work and all the other things that go into um, uh, Bitcoin technology. And at the same time, attempts to really like go in pretty deep into how, how Bitcoin works and how the blockchain works. And they did it in a, in a fun way. It's a, it's a combination of, of text and comic books that are like kind of metaphorical analogies of, of how Bitcoin works. And so there's this alligator named Crowley, and he's kind of like the main character and is a, a Bitcoin user. And um, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto is like this guy with a paper bag over his head who he interacts with. And so I really thought like of all the books I've read and all the online stuff, if you want to understand Bitcoin, this is the one to get. And, and I particularly like the last chapter, which was like looking at the year 2030 when a lot of uh, technology and communication systems um, will be uh, uh, run using block, blockchain technology and kind of like these, these bidding auctions where where autonomous systems and organizations that don't have any human operators would be like bidding for humans uh, attention and money so that they could keep keep on going like Crowley the crocodile walks out of his house and there's like these little robotic lawnmowers that are begging for Satoshi's to uh, to mow the guy's lawn and uh, just kind of whimsical things like that but um, you know, introducing people to the idea of, you know, like a, a, a fleet of Uber cars, of, of self-driving Uber cars that um, don't have any like humans running the corporation. These cars are basically programmed to maximize the amount of energy in, in their, their system and, uh, you know, have enough money in reserve so that they can repair themselves and things like that. So I love that part of it. And I also like just the kind of meat and potatoes descriptions of how things work like like hashing i never i I mean i've heard of the term hashing but i never knew what hashing was until i read this book and uh good descriptions of uh of different kinds of encryption um they they make an i think the part that they they tried and and didn't work for me at least was elliptic curve uh cryptography that was like it, it i lost it um, they made a valiant effort and spent quite a bit of time in the book talking about that kind of cryptography. And, and I got part of it, but after a while, I've just like, I'm not getting it. And I kind of skipped about 10 pages and got to the next chapter. Yeah. I mean, I, as you're talking about, it, I'm kind of realizing how much of Bitcoin I don't really understand and how much I kind of just take for granted, like, oh yeah, you know, there'll be this thing that you can split up into infinitely small pieces or and have these very small transactions, I guess. But 
I mean, how does it really work? How is it uh, being managed or, or run? And- yeah. And I think this book is, is good at, at explaining that, how you can have a system that works without, uh, in theory, without human control. And um, there are no gatekeepers. Uh, there's no bank or middleman man to, to take a, a hefty transaction fee or block a transaction. All you have to do, I mean, anyone in the world can do it. There's no, there's no way to stop a cross-border Bitcoin transaction. It just happens. And so um, I think uh, businesses, uh, financial institutions are starting to look at Bitcoin. And it could be, we could have this future where we have Bitcoin or some other kind of similar blockchain powered cryptocurrency where people don't even realize that, that they're using Bitcoin. They're just like sending money overseas. And then the banks um, make a, a domestic transfer uh, exchange to Bitcoin, then transfer it overseas. And then it's re- uh, you know ch- changed again into the local currency over there. And then they can just like get around all kinds of, of uh, expensive uh, uh, financial transaction systems and um, kind of regulations that are set up for, for traditional currencies. It's fascinating. And, you know, there's so many things at play. There's like the Bitcoin Foundation. There's like core developers. There's the government who's interested. There's the miners, which are an increasingly small group of people with more and more powerful computers who are doing the kind of proof of work to validate transactions. And I think you've probably heard of these kind of farms of of very specialized hardware that are doing the... uh, uh, it's kind of like guessing a, a number to figure out uh, is the, the proof of work involves basically guessing this astronomically huge number and um, the amount of hashing power that these, that this hardware has like dwarfs all the supercomputers on the planet. And so these guys are increasingly powerful in, in the Bitcoin community and have a lot of say in any changes that are made. So it's a fascinating, fascinating book. Yeah, it sounds interesting. I mean, I think that Bitcoin still has a lot of work to do to get to be really fluid throughout every throughout the world. But yeah, it's it's definitely going to be here. Like the concept is is like has a lot of staying power. It's, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that's going to be a part of the world. Definitely the concept's here to stay. And, you know, I mean, as Bitcoin currently stands by design, it cannot process more than seven transactions per second globally. Mm. Compare that to Visa. I I read that its maximum um, transaction capability is 54,000 transactions a second. So Bitcoin would have to change in a big way if they wanted to turn it into something like Visa. The, the other option would be to have kind of side chains that have a, cur- a currency pegged to Bitcoin and it could make tons of transactions and then kind of reconcile later on with, with Bitcoin. But that, uh, you know, t- t- has a little centralization and human control to things. But, you know, things evolve in, in that way. And as, as things get more useful, naturally, people want to, like, have a little more control when they develop new new ways for it to to make to make use of it i'm surprised visa doesn't have more capacity than that but i guess not i mean who well knows? maybe they do i i've 
I've read various numbers, you know, some I've read like 7,000 transactions a second. The latest one I heard was 54,000 transactions a second. Um, I've talked to other people too, who've, who've said that they think 54,000 is low and that, you know, uh, Christmas, you know, December 24th, these has got to be handling more than, than 54,000 transactions a second. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, um, let's go on to, uh, your next pick, which is about uh, some kind of mini RPG adventures. Yeah, this one's actually been on my list for months. Uh, I, I just knew I had to tell all you about it the next time I talked to you. Uh, it's called One Page Adventures. And what it is, is it's a like a single double-sided page that this guy has been creating. Uh, I have his name somewhere. Let me look it up real quick so I get it right. Uh, Michael Prescott, he has been creating these little RPGs, little like dungeon quests, basically. I think you can combine them together there, you know, make a like a continuing story from it. Uh, But they're little one pagers and they're beautifully illustrated. Great little sort of stories here going through. It, it, It describes the whole situation things you might encounter, gives you different dice rolls for what you might do. He's got a great little map um, and drawings of different things that you might encounter, like monsters and stuff, and maybe like a huge statue or something like that. But he makes this great little sort of compact story that's along the same lines as a prepackaged Dungeons & Dragons campaign but it's he's making a new one maybe i don't think it's quite once a week but maybe maybe a couple a month and it's it's just fantastic it's really cool i i i uh have been wanting to play one but i haven't quite gotten gotten around to it um and also important is that these are all creative commons licensed so they're free to download from his website but he also has a patreon where He's got almost 300 people who are backing this and paying him uh, a few hundred dollars per each for each one of these little adventures he's great creating. So it's totally somebody who just loves this idea of making these dungeon quests and doing all these maps and drawing things and telling these stories in this particular RPG way, who's found like an audience that is interested in it and is kind of like quietly building this little thing in this nice little corner of the internet. I'm looking at his page right now. Is he the illustrator? I think he's the illustrator as well as the, the, the author. Yeah. These are fantastic. I love these illustrations. He's amazing. And I like the layout of the the little pages. They're meant to be printed out. Um, Mm -hmm. This is super cool. Yeah, there, uh, there's a particular favorite of mine called the Unmended Way. That is these two like rock spires coming up out of the the bottom of the page here, and it has a staircase going up it, and little like steps that lead up to the top for your adventures v- adventurers to kind of go through. And it's got a ro- uh, like a rope bridge that goes between these two peaks, the North Peak and the South Peak. And the North Peak has Split Peak House on it. And it's got all these great names like the Twinning Star and uh, 
descriptions of what happens as you go through these different sections here. So like there's a, a section in this one called the changeable weather. And it says the Strywall Mountains have extraordinarily changeable weather, each sort lasting only D12 hours. Roll D6. And then for each uh, option, you have one, clear skies and a light breeze, two, still air but constant wetting rain, three, thunderstorms from the north, four, fluke southerly winds bring thick cloud in summer, snow at other times, inch diameter hail that lasts five minutes and a blue sky that darkens to starry black. I mean, the guy has really thought the whole thing out uh, really, really nicely. And there's like slippery areas and areas where you encounter different things. It's, it's, it's great. This is super cool. So um, since you haven't played it, any of these, you don't know if these are like solo adventures where you kind of like just go through yourself or is it meant to have someone who's like a dungeon master who kind of reads this in advance and then um, guides the other players through it? Uh, my understanding is that it's a pretty standard dungeon master uh, setup mm-hmm. where you have someone who is creating the creating the story and kind of maintaining this and they can show them the map and stuff like that. But it's it's not really meant to be... Uh, something where you do it by yourself. Right. And, and so you can just bring in your own D&D characters and use them. Yeah, totally. This is so cool. Um, yeah, I, I know you have like a regular Dungeons and Dragons yeah. game. And I thought I'd been wanting to tell you about this because I was just like, oh, man, they're going to love this. This is great. And yeah, we haven't had that meeting for a while. So I need, we need to uh, get started on it. And this might just be the thing that will will get us to do it. Oh, good. Yeah, that looks that looks really cool. Lately, what we, um, I've been doing instead is we started uh, a, as Corey Doctorow describes it, a club for people who aren't good at magic. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, it's about seven or eight of us, and we meet at my house, and we uh, show we we come prepared with a trick, magic trick to show each other, and then we talk about it, and people give tips on how we might improve the trick, or uh, you know, different slights you can use. And um, we've actually only had one meeting so far. We're going to meet once a month, but uh, it was such a it was such a fun time. Corey is now really into rubber band magic. Somebody showed how to do a, a rubber band trick, and every time I see Corey now, he is constantly just doing the trick. Like while you talk, while everything, he just will not stop doing this this rubber wow. band trick. He's got like two of them now in his repertoire, but he's really good at it now. It's funny though how he's just like latched onto that. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I guess he's in L.A. now. That's, yeah. that's another thing that's kind of changed over yeah, he the lives, last year. He lives nearby, so it's great. We see each other quite a bit um, and just go out to dinner together and uh, and just hang out. He was here uh, on Friday and uh, at my house, and wow. it was a fun day. We were shooting some video for Virgin America, and Adam Savage stopped by, too, and hung out. And uh, he's always super entertaining. Yeah, totally. That's that's great. I mean, it must be so nice to have him nearby and be able to get together and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, probably he was sort of hard to get a hold of when I was working for Boing Boing. He was like really uh, just kind of off in this other time zone and stuff like that. So that's that's a big change. Yeah, it totally is. And then um, Corey's uh, wife Alice, um, we're great friends with, and she's a, a Walking Dead fan. And so we watched the show with her and uh, uh, when they were moving out here, she spent a couple of weeks with us and we, she just re binge watched the whole 
uh, uh, series with us again. Oh my God. She's great. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, uh, I have one more pick, excuse me for a sec. <clears throat> I just wanted, um, our listeners to know that we have three other podcasts that you might not know about that I really recommend. Um, they're part of the Boing Boing family of podcasts. And one of them we've had for a, a few years now, um, I just wanted to mention it again. It's called the You Are Not So Smart podcast by David McRaney. And he explores kind of human psychology and the quirks in the way that we think and make decisions and our cognitive biases. Um, it's a fantastic podcast, very well produced. He typically um, has an introduction where he finds some kind of uh, uh, illustrative example from popular media, like a, a, com a comedian stand-up routine or a scene from a movie, um, uh, a, a news item. And then he goes into the particular psychological quirk that he's exploring and, and it typically interviews a couple of experts about it. Um, one of the uh, recent episodes that I really liked was uh, he, he had an interview with, with Brian Brushwood, who's uh, a magician and, and does a video series called Scam School. And uh, the... The idea was that uh, before there were uh, psychologists figuring out how people th thought and, you know, the processes, cognitive behavior, <clears throat> uh, scam artists and magicians and, and con artists were the experts on, on things like biases and fallacies and, and rules of thumbs and, and thing like, things like that. So um, uh, it, it was a great conversation with Brian kind of about the psychology of of how, how great con men are at, at reading people and magicians are at reading people. Another good podcast that we just started is called Flash Forward. And it's a really fun podcast where uh, it's, it's by Rose Eveleth. And what she does is she starts it out kind of like a radio, science fiction radio drama. Um, the, the most uh, recent episode was about lying. And so she's imagining a future where everybody has a little device strapped to them that beeps when it tell it can tell that they're s telling a lie. So if somebody says like, it's great to see you and they really don't think so, <clears throat> the device will beep. And so she kind of runs through some scenarios of people having interactions with this device beeping. And then after that, after about five minutes of that, then she has interviews with several people about what the world would be like if it was, kind of impossible to tell a lie and really the the place that that lying serves the human race in a good way um and the way that uh <clears throat> for example it's interesting um somebody pointed out that children are taught to lie at a very early age like when they say you know T tell your grandmother that you really liked getting that sweater for your birthday and that you don't care that it wasn't a toy. But then, you know, 10 minutes later, they'll tell their kids, you know, never tell a lie. It's always bad to lie. So kids, people get mixed signals about lying. Uh, and she, she talked to another psychology, psychologist who studies lying, who told her that on average, people lie 400 times a day, which is unbelievable. <laughs> That's a lot. I know. I don't get out of the house enough to lie that much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I could 
do that. I don't know, maybe I'll start counting how many, but I don't know how you would ever count a thing like that. But it would be hard. Maybe with like a little clicker in your hand, you could just kind of do it. Yeah, the like two days in, people are like, why, why is Dean clicking this button all the time? <laughs> <laughs> and then they'll kind of figure it out. That'll be like the device that makes it a sound when you lie. Yeah, um, right. You do it to yourself. You give yourself away. Yeah. The other uh, great podcast that's new is called Home Stories from LA. And it's by Bill Barol. And he lives in here in Los Angeles in Santa Monica. And it's a podcast of, of true stories about Los Angeles, historical events, um, current events, really well, very tight, well-produced, kind of uh, this American lifestyle uh, with with a focus on LA. One episode that, that uh, I really liked was about the Beach Boys historic landmark in Hawthorne, California that was built on the site of the Wilson Brothers demolished home and kind of the struggle of the guy who decided that the Beach Boys deserved to have <clears throat> to have a memorial where they were, um, you know, where, the, where their home was and kind of the, the controversy about that because I don't know if you know, but uh, the Wilson brothers' father was like a really kind of a horrible person who abused the boys and hit them and just constantly screamed at them and had an alcohol problem. And so people are like, why do you want to have a monument where, you know, where they were treated so horribly? But at the same time, that's like where their their music was born, you know. Um, so it's a great story. And so anyway, all three of those podcasts, I'll have links to all of them. I I, I highly recommend all of these podcasts. I'm I'm slowly adding new podcasts to the to the family, Boring Boring family, and I'm making sure that they're all like really well produced podcasts that that have great stories associated with them yeah these are uh i mean you've you've been rotating them out i guess and these i got a couple new ones here that i haven't heard before uh and you you are not so smart you has it's been a long-standing one but yeah. uh i'll have to check those out yeah definitely well dean um i think that uh, like we said we're, we're probably not going to do this once a week for a while we'll probably have a, a monthly schedule for a while until we kind of figure out what works for us and and your kind of really busy work schedule so uh we'll sign off at this one but uh visit boingboing.net and you can see the links and show notes to everything that we talked about dean it's great to like to uh be back talking to you again yeah absolutely i mean i i really missed this it was totally the highlight of my week for a long time so i'm i'm really excited to get back into it and uh yeah we will uh we'll do it again soon <laughs>